0: Let's do this. Let's talk about talk.
1: Well, hello there. I'm your communication coach, Dr. Andrea Wojnicki. Please call me Andrea. Thanks for listening. Talk About Talk is where you can learn to communicate more effectively so you can advance your career and improve your relationships with everyone around you, including, as you'll learn in this episode, the teens and tweens in your life. If you go to TalkAboutTalk.com, you can see the full archive of all the communication skills topics that we've covered in the podcasts and the email blogs. We're releasing podcasts bi-weekly, every second week, and email blogs every week, so you can always go to the TalkAboutTalk.com website and catch up on everything you've missed. Today's episode is focused on communicating with tweens and teens, specifically our role as parents or guardians in our children's education. This topic is always important. But these days it's even more resonant, with COVID-19 resulting in regular school being abruptly cancelled and, if we're lucky, replaced with online or virtual learning. We are very, very fortunate to have Kimberly Akers here with us for this episode, a parenting and learning consultant whom I'll introduce you to in just a moment. As you'll hear from Kim at the beginning of the interview, children are always learning, in school, at home, and everywhere they go. And we, as parents, have always and will always play a critical role in that learning. So we should recognize that this phenomenon of learning at home is actually nothing new. What is new, though, is the shift to more online or virtual learning. Regardless of how you want to describe what's going on and what our role is as parents, I can tell you personally, from my recent conversations, that this moment in time of physical distancing and online learning stresses many of us parents out, doesn't it? Well, I have good news. At the end of this podcast, you'll feel more knowledgeable and more optimistic about how to handle the current situation and about your role as a parent in your child's education. Here's how this episode will unfold. I'll introduce Kim, and then we'll get right into the interview. Then, after the interview, I'll summarize everything for you. So good news, you don't have to take notes. Not at all. Just sit back and listen. I've categorized the learnings from this episode into three areas. One, parent philosophies to consider. Two, parenting tactics. And three, specific tactics to help you enable your child with virtual or online learning. As always, this summary is easily available to you on the TalkAboutTalk.com website. Just go to the podcast tab and then click on printable show notes. The show notes for each episode include the summary, references and other resources, and the transcript. Okay, let me introduce Kim to you now, and then we'll get right into the interview. Kimberly Akers is a career educator. She earned her BA and B.Ed. from Queen's University. Since then, she's been working with students around the globe be it in the classroom, at the rink, in sports fields, or online. In her business, KJA Coaching, Kim encourages collaboration, communication, and celebration to help families break out of the parent-teen trap. Whew, sounds good to me. As you'll hear, Kim has two teenage daughters, so between the two of us, we have four teens and one tween. Kim says that her daughters provide her much fodder for personal growth as she celebrates with them through their voyage into adulthood. As a parenting coach and a learning strategist, Kim journeys with parents as they discover their ability to be the very best parent that they can be. Currently, Kim's working with students as a virtual learning coach to bridge the gap from the classroom to the learn-at-home model and to bring students to their ultimate level of self-empowerment and success, which is owning their learning. Thank you so much Kim for joining us here today to share your expertise. Thank you for having me. All right, let's start with a general question. What should we as parents be thinking about in terms of our role in our children's education? That is a great
0: question for today, particularly after most of us have been housebound with our children, watching them and ourselves struggle through what education looks like in the time of COVID-19. I'd like to take that question and sort of put it into two parts. The first part is the role of the parents, and the second part is our children's education. It is sometimes challenging for us to really recognize that it is our children's education. And uh, in my experience working with parents through hundreds of parent-teacher interviews, the thing I noticed the most that's such a challenge for parents is to let themselves off the hook. Ultimately, our children's education is their education. And the moment we let ourselves off the hook, we empower our children to own their own education and to own their own learning. All of us as parents struggle with this idea of who we want our children to be, of having control, of accepting our children the way that they are, and then as a result, encouraging them and empowering them to own their own experiences. And I can give you an example of a time, a strong memory I have of years ago coaching IP hockey. And I had a five-year-old girl, a really great skater at that age, and I was tying her skates. And as I'm tying her skates, she said, I'm so excited for today. My mom said, if I get a goal, she's going to give me $5. Wow. Wow. And I had this tightness in my stomach because as a coach and, and anyone who's had their child in that age of uh, hockey knows that we change their positions every game. So some games they're a defenseman, some games they're, they're at center, some games they're the goalie. And I had put this little girl on defense that day. So I knew exponentially that her chance of getting a goal had gone down significantly. Needless to say, she didn't, she didn't get a goal. And I will never forget this, the idea that it's not one experience that dictates our child's education. But the moment we let go of owning it or controlling it or trying to make it something... Our children get to own it.
1: That's a great point but when you said we need to let go of the outcome, we need to let ourselves off the hook, I'm in my mind saying so much easier said than done, right? I mean I'm seeing impending disaster and I just want to save them and it's such a cliche parents saving their kids. It is. Let me share a
0: metaphor. It's one that has consistently been a powerful perspective on education for me. If you think of your child's education as a tree and the education system as the trunk and education from kindergarten through to post-secondary education will provide for our children the foundation, the strength of the trunk. And as parents, we offer the nutrients. We take our children on trips. We walk around the block and have a conversation. We get them a bicycle. We become the motivators of the branches and the the leaves. Sometimes we even get to pick the tree. It can be an oak. It can be a weeping willow. It can be a birch tree. And that metaphor has provided for me so much solace in the education system. There is no perfect education system but every education system will provide that trunk. What the rest of the tree looks like is in our domain. We get to see our children after school. We get to be the recipients of what their day was like and the capacity to accept that we don't have to control the outcome. We don't need to be fearful for our children. And there's a lot of fear right now around this time period. What are students going to lose? the opportunity inside of being at home as a family is much greater than the potential loss. So what's the role of parents? I know a lot of parents are feeling right now that they need to be teachers as well. But if we can let go of the outcome ultimately and trust that everything is an education, we will see our students, our children thrive inside of this. And a very simple thing we can do is validate. What's the difference between praise and validation? Well, praise is that's great or good job. Yeah. It's almost meaningless. But something that validates is a strong statement. I saw today you spend a lot of time on math. We validate their action rather than saying, good job on math today. I want them to feel as though even if they're not strong at it, they're not scared of it so I can validate. A simple statement right now is probably the best opportunity we have to support our kids in their learning, is to validate what they're doing.
1: So would you say that the validation is about effort versus the praise is about outcome?
0: Yes, yes. Our children aren't always going to be successful. And if we're only looking at their outcome or the outcome that we want for them, we're almost setting them up for failure.
1: Well, this links to your metaphor, which I absolutely love. I love metaphors in general. And I think the tree metaphor is really beautiful. I love it. And I'm wondering if working within that metaphor, if we should be thinking about as parents, our role, as you said, is it's the foundation. So are we the soil, the nutrients? And so therefore, should we as parents be really focusing on providing learning opportunities? Is that our job? And I I will be the last person to tell parents
0: what they should do. I really want us to escape from the word should and look at what we can do. And all parents from every background have the skills to look at what they can offer. And it might just be a little sticky note beside our teenager as he or she is forcing herself to look at these online videos that says hot chocolate later, or lunch at 12. And those statements of validation take away the pressure of having to be something. In my experience as a teacher of high school students, they put enough pressure on themselves and they do it instinctually. And sometimes it's in the form of acting out. Sometimes it's in the form of of defiance. Sometimes it's in the form of complacency. But yes, if we look at our job as broadening and education's job as moving kids upward, then every opportunity we expose our children to becomes a branch. But if we trust it and then we actively look at who we are as part of their lives outside of the institution, we can build the most amazing, strong branches and leaves and fruit and berries and seeds that will create possibilities and opportunities for our kids for years and years and years beyond the math or the geography or the English tutorial that they're working on today.
1: Exactly. Well, that's beautiful and very empowering as well. And I want to go back to your story about the young hockey player whose skates you were doing up. And I was wondering what your take is on intrinsic versus extrinsic motivations and rewards as, as a, I guess, as a parent with a child.
0: That action of wanting to motivate our children beyond the actual experience is deep and real. And we're also living in a culture where everyone gets a red ribbon. So there's a certain age where kids will thrive on that idea of competition, but it runs out. Extrinsic motivation versus intrinsic is really a developmental part of who, to, who our children are. As, if we go back to Eric Erickson's stages of uh, psychosocial development, for example, we know that there are ages in which students can't possibly or our children can't possibly comprehend the satisfaction of an intrinsic reward, but it comes with experience So I think that story really was a reminder to me of the need to be careful with our extrinsic motivators Hmm. because they run out. What happens at age 16? What happens at age 19 if our children are still looking for something outside of themselves? What happens when our teenage daughters get on Instagram or they get Snapchat or they follow TikTok videos? and they see others looking their best because everybody can look good on social media.
1: Right. I think that's that's a great example. You go on social media and suddenly it's all extrinsic, right? And it is. I, I actually hadn't thought of that. I have to tell you this, my now 16 year old was playing basketball and we he would do really well in practice, but not in games. And one time I said to him, I'm going to pay you a dollar for every uh, rebound and $5 for a basket. And he had the best game he's ever had in his entire life. And the assistant (laughs) coach said to me, what did you feed him? (laughs) So afterwards, I, I said, we are never doing that again. But now you know what you're capable of. Here's your money think about it. <laughs> and we actually still talk about it because we talk about intrinsic and extrinsic rewards in this house, actually. So.
0: Well, and, and I can add to that if you, if you want, just the idea of who's the reward for them. As parents, we want to see our children succeed. And we sometimes will offer these types of rewards because it makes us feel better. And right it felt great I'm sure right
1: Him. I'm to be honest the whole time I was ashamed cuz I know about <laughs> all the research on extrinsic I mean I was proud of his basketball prowess but I was ashamed sure. of anyway that's <laughs> no but it's fine it's a really honest share and, and yeah. so so as we were talking about intrinsic and extrinsic motivations you said there may be an evolution as as children mature so I'm wondering if we can talk a little bit about how children's needs evolve as they mature Currently,
0: when I'm talking to students about their virtual learning, I'm talking to uh, a range of ages. And it is very interesting to identify what kids know about themselves at different ages. And when we're young, we're really looking around for the models. Most of us as parents have had our young children come home at one point or another and throw out a swear word. Sometimes we marvel at where that came from That's part of the learning at that stage is the the maturation is to sort of mimic. But as kids grow, they start to demand autonomy. And as the adolescent brain changes, and it's a very intense change through those preteen and teen years. And a a little bit of understanding of that can really support us as parents and how, how to support them. Uh, And I would encourage every parent to talk to their preteen and their tween about what's happening to your brain and not use it as an excuse. That's not fair. But to use it as knowledge, helping them to understand themselves, helping them to understand their friends. Why are my friends acting out? Why does my best friend not care about school anymore? Why doesn't my friend talk to me instead of just looking at his phone all the time when we're walking home from school?
1: Yeah. And and implicit in that answer, I think, was something that I think is really important, which is you can ease your way into the conversation about your child by talking about their friends, right? Very much. Yeah.
0: And having their friends over. (laughs) Yeah. Very, very entertaining when you sit down at, at dinner with a friend, your child and one of their friends, the liberty their friends have with sharing that sometimes your own child won't. So hearing through our children's friends and their their boyfriends and girlfriends and others that they bring into their lives is a great way to covertly and quietly discover what they're up to. And the role we play in the same home definitely changes over time. And a lot of us will see our teenagers become a little more secretive maybe. They will bring friends into their lives quietly as their primary confidants. Some of our our kids will go to their rooms and predominantly live and work in their rooms. I always want to know what's going on with my children, but lots of times they're not going to answer a direct question anymore because it's theirs. And I want to empower them to be young people. I want to empower them to make their own choices, preferably good ones, but there are going to be times when they make ones that I don't like. And a couple little strategies that have really allowed my children and I to stay sane with each other would include modeling. If they see me going out and getting some exercise, if they see me calling somebody on the phone to have a chat, if they see me taking a risk, starting a business, that has been a key to empowering them to be themselves and know that it's okay to make mistakes.
1: Mm. I find that empowering and inspiring personally as well, right? It takes some of the weight off to think, well, I just have to show them. Correct.
0: Correct. It goes back to that thing we talked about right at the beginning that we don't have to own the outcome. They get to have the outcome. Being able to come along is a privilege when our kids are teenagers. Mm -hmm. If they still want us to come and watch a game, if they still want to show us how they've done in school, it's a gift. And I celebrate those moments.
1: That's an important mindset, I think. It's not my right, it's a privilege. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it is. And we ultimately need to remember the end game. We want our children to step out into the young adult world with enough confidence and resiliency, self-advocacy to own their own personal experiences. So that idea of really holding space, just hold space. Silence is uncomfortable, but it is a gift to teenagers. Mm. Hold space. Listen for what isn't said. And don't listen as an L1 learner. When my kid says something, I'll say, oh, well, that happened to me too. Or, oh, when I was this age. They don't need to hear about our experiences now. They need to be okay with their own. When we become an L2 or an L3 learner, we're watching how our kids are telling us information. We are watching for the gestures. We're watching for what they don't say. So that idea of holding space, modeling, And the last little piece that has been gold for me, and uh, I know for parents that have been able to do this, it's been gold for them as well, is admitting when we're wrong. Right. I do sometimes get angry with my kids (laughs) for even still for the little things they did when they were five coming in with muddy boots or not putting their dishes in the dishwasher. How many times do we need to tell them those little simple basics that they should be able to help out with
1: and this is amplified right now with all of us being contained in our homes with our families <laughs> so 24 7, cool. right?
0: <laughs> so it, this was pure luck, I think, but I found myself a few years ago apologizing for an angry outburst. Mm. And it was a very vulnerable moment for me. And I realized, I think I had finally found the self-awareness to realize that there was something else going on in my mind that caused me to get angry with my daughter. And I went back to her about an hour later and I said, you know what? I responded incorrectly. If I could take back what I said to you an hour ago, I would. Here's why I think I said it. And I just said what I was worried about. Right. And being human... And being vulnerable also gives our children license to be vulnerable. Mm. And who isn't vulnerable today, in this moment, in this time in history? I want our children to remember this time as one of opportunity, to look at decisions that adults have made that they see value in. Right. Three little things would be ones I would share as gems.
1: So modeling, holding space, and admitting when we're wrong. Yeah, Beautiful.
0: Being vulnerable.
1: Your story there reminded me of a conversation that I had with my eldest, just at the beginning of this physical distancing situation that we're all in. And I said that I read online, I think it was Gretchen Rubin, the happiness guru. She said, as we're embarking on this new social experiment that none of us have experienced before, ask yourself what story do you want to tell yourself when this is all over? Isn't that empowering? It actually gives me the shivers. What a, what a great motivator for all of us. Yeah.
0: the opportunity you discovered in this? Yeah. Bernay Brown uh, recently in an interview was asked a question about having courage right now and that people who, who are courageous must be really excelling. And she commented back something along the lines of, well, no. Because taking a risk is messy. Being courageous means that you're trying something you haven't tried before. And then she said, and I, I will misquote her slightly, but she said something like, this is my first pandemic. How about you? Yeah.
1: <laughs> I love
0: it. And that's it, right? We are all human, we're all vulnerable. We we are all looking at ourselves in the mirror going, "What happened today?" Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, so so on one hand, though, I feel like there's then a lot of pressure because as you said, we're constantly role modeling and the kids are watching us and you know, yesterday I vacuumed my entire house, top to bottom, every nook and cranny, and I became grumpier and grumpier as it was happening. I think there were two main things that were contributing to that. One was I just kept, I was in my head, right? I just kept thinking about what's going on and it was really bringing me down. And also as I was vacuuming, I was seeing all the messes from the other four people in this house (laughs) and what they had left behind for their maid, i.e. me, to clean up. And I was getting really grumpy and I was I was just really down on it and on everyone and anything in my way. And then afterwards, to your point, I did apologize and I, I told them, here's why I was grumpy. It's these two things, and, but I'm really sorry and I, I, should, I should be able to handle this better. And
0: good for you. How brave to take that moment to pause, reflect on your own actions, and then share them back, mirror them back to your children. Yeah. Um, I was pretty
1: grumpy, I have to say.
0: (laughs) I I think we've all been very grumpy. And the only suggestion that that I might share here that is a pretty powerful learning piece for all of us as parents when we go back to the book that many of us looked at, at the beginning of our parenting life, what to expect when you're expecting or what to expect at the first year. I think that's the only two books that could be titled with with what to expect because after that, it's pretty tough to know what to expect.
1: That is so true.
0: (laughs) This is really one of those times, but we can set boundaries right now for ourselves and know what they are as parents. And if the boundary is that at the end of the day, the counter needs to be cleaned so that we start our mornings fresh while we are all living together, then it's fair to state that boundary. If the boundary is that all of our teenagers right now own three hours a day of their own learning, then let's share that boundary Hmm. and be clear with it and not waffle with it. Our kids will most of the time respect our boundaries. We have to know what they are first. And that takes a a lot of looking at ourselves as parents. What are we comfortable with? And we have modeled values. And I guess that's the thing you suggested puts the pressure on us to model. And maybe I want to take the pressure off because throughout our growth as families, we share values. But it's not our job to insist our children accept all of those values. Mm. I hope that I've modeled the values of charitable actions, a growth mindset, kindness, self-preservation, and and self-care to my daughters. I can't insist that they also accept those as their own values.
1: Mm. That's a great point.
0: I can model those. And when we get into this insisting that the outcome has to be something then we not only set ourselves up for real challenges, particularly now inside of our homes together.
1: That is the scary thing that we were talking about at the very beginning, right? So you, you want to back off and let them learn and let them fall and not save them all the time. You know what? I've heard it so many times and it's, it is a very compelling, consistent message. So thank you for that. Now, I'm wondering if we can get into a little bit of the nitty-gritty about online learning. And I know that you have had some experience over the years. And right now, you're actually coaching some families and, and some teenagers and other younger students how to optimize their learning. And I'm wondering if you can share with the listeners what we as parents can do to enable that.
0: Certainly. Learn at home. I keep hearing, learn at home. And uh, it's really not a new philosophy, except that we've attempted to move school inside of our homes. I'd like to call it virtual learning. And I, I think I want to also acknowledge to every parent that this is a necessary step to support the moment we're in in time. And that's all. So we want to encourage our children to do the best they can inside of what virtual and online learning has to offer, Mm -hmm. knowing that this is not a forever style of learning. What I have had the pleasure of doing in the last couple weeks is meeting with students of all ages and trying to bring, first of all, a lightness to this learning. So the first step that I, that I take with, with kids is, and teenagers, is to talk to them about what they like. And some kids can rhyme off a list of 20 activities or items that they like. Others really pause to recognize, what is it that I like? And what I try to do is embed students in, okay, when you like something, how do you feel? And finding the vocabulary sometimes to, for a 10-year-old or a 12-year-old or a 16-year-old to, to explain how he or she feels about an experience is challenging. But if we can take those positive feelings with us and know what we feel like at the moment when we are the most proud, that's another question that I've been asking. What did you feel at a time when you were the most proud of something that you had done? We put kids into that moment and we help them recognize what it feels like when we're doing something we like. Then it takes the fear out of and the uncertainty and the, the, the lack of engagement and just the, dis, the, the discerning necessity of, oh, I have to learn this way. So it sort of disarms the resistance a little bit. Yeah. So that's a positive approach. If, we're, if we are, as parents, complaining about the limitations of virtual learning, well, believe me, our children will find more.
1: <laughs> right.
0: And I'm not going to pretend it's perfect. Like I said to you earlier, it's the trunk. And it's a little bit of the trunk right now. It's probably the part that's winding or it has the, the outgrowth, the, the sort of the big wart on a, on the trunks of some yeah. trees that we see. <laughs> so it has limitations but this online world is something that our children are living in right comfortable there and so that's the thing that we can celebrate with them this is theirs to own they know how to learn inside of technology
1: yeah. And yesterday, hey. my eldest made a very sort of flippant comment to me about, you know, this online learning is getting a little bit boring. But yesterday, our teacher mixed it up and he had us do some exercise and then come back in the mm-hmm. second half of the class and talk about what we did, and it was it was awesome. And. I said to him, why don't you just send your teacher a private note and tell him that? Because I think your teacher is probably struggling as much as you are with this. And the fact that he did something that you appreciated would mean a lot to him. And also, he might do it again or look for another way of bringing in some novelty.
0: Wonderful, and you know we know that's a great way of kind of getting what we would like more of, right? Identify what we enjoyed in it, and we want to do that with our kids, right? Oh, I I I I saw you put the dishes away last night. Thank you. Yeah. Right. (laughs) I nag you every night about it. No, I've stopped nagging you, but I saw you do it. I guarantee you that goes into our teenager's mind. So how how validating for your for him to send that to his teacher and for the teacher then to receive it. We're all humans, we're all looking for positive feedback at a time when none of us, none of us have the script.
1: Right. So, and to your point earlier, he was talking about something that he likes, right? And then reinforcing it with the person that basically enabled that positive opportunity. Can you just share a little bit more about what we do with the answers? So when our kids tell us what they like or when they're most proud, are we then reverse engineering the online experience to leverage those things somehow? Or what are we doing with their answers? So
0: the next question that I ask is, I've been asking students to identify what their student strengths are. There are some students recognizing that they need they know many times students know what they need to learn they sometimes don 't know how they learn they sometimes don't know how to get to the desired outcome, but most of them know their strengths and so when we have a, our children pause and and say, "What am I good at?" and often that idea can be facilitated through that question of "What do I like?" students will tell you i love i 'm good at." Shooting hoops, for example. Let's just take something they like. Well, what makes you good at it? Well, I go out in the laneway and I do it all the time. Well, I know as a teacher that's practice. I use that metaphor in my classroom all the time. You don't show up, well, a few, a few, a few Michael Jordans show up and they're three point shooters off the bat.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> but uh, there's an old example for you that dates me. But um, most learners practice. And so if we can get students to notice a strength I have is practice and bring that willingness to practice Mm. to this new form of learning. Another um, strength that I'm really noticing, uh, the students I've worked with thus far on uh, their approach to virtual learning are are identifying that they thrive in a quiet space without distractions. Mm. So I've had some of them, I have a Snapchat bitmoji and, and uh, a Snapchat address that I share with my students as their coach, and they have to snap me a picture of their workplace. And then they have to snap me a picture, the teenagers, of where they're leaving their phone during their work time. Uh. So that little, here's my workspace is, is a very important one. And when we ask students to dig in a little bit to how they learn and start to own their learning, which is the ultimate goal, and this will look different at different ages. But when we hit, when our, when our children hit grades 11 and 12, we want them to be able to identify and state, I learn the best when I'm doing these things. That's really and
1: important, isn't it? Yeah,
0: it is. And I very much see in this opportunity to learn online and through virtual lessons, the opportunity to examine how we learn. If I notice as a 14-year-old boy that I am sitting for 20 minutes and I start to get fidgety in my chair, then I create a schedule where I work for 25 minutes and I take a five-minute break and I go shoot 10 threes in the laneway or I go run around the block or whatever it is I need to do and I come back and I work for another 25. And that will vary with ages. We talked about kids and how they mature, um, giving them con- some control, letting them create a, uh, a workspace, letting them create a schedule.
1: And, and letting them feel like they're customizing their own experience, right? Yes, yeah.
0: yes. I have one young man who wears his father's tie when he's a student, and he takes the tie off and he leaves it at his workstation when he's not a student. And it's a tiny little thing. Put on something you feel great about. If you're a Leafs fan or a Raptors fan and you feel great in that sh- in the shirt you wear when you go to one of their games, put it on when you're a student. Leave it at your computer or at your workplace when you're not.
1: I love that. So physically, in- using symbolism around you, it could be what you're wearing. One. Yeah, I, lo- I love your exercise about asking for a Snapchat photo of their workspace and where their phone is. I think that's absolutely brilliant. I'm sure they respect yeah. you for that too.
0: They are loving it. And, you know, it's a fun little thing. And uh, I get to send off my own bitmoji with cheerleading or dancing or, or nice. whatever.
1: A little. Nice. Kind of oh, uh, you bit. like the bitmojis too. I love <laughs> it. Right? It's a
0: celebration. The more we can celebrate our children's intentions, the more they celebrate themselves.
1: Well, I love the positive, inspiring message of celebrating and also you talked a lot about role modeling and taking the pressure off and, and I'm, I'm feeling much more optimistic right now, um, I think, than I was before I started my conversation with you, but I, I just have to ask you one other thing before we move on to the five rapid fire questions. Just to keep in the back of my mind, and hopefully this will help the listeners as well, what are the biggest mistakes that parents make in terms of encouraging a positive learning mindset in their tweens and teens?
0: If we want to begin with a positive learning mindset as parents, I want to encourage all of us to not think about making mistakes. As soon as we think about ourselves making a mistake, then we set ourselves up maybe for failure or maybe for not doing as much as we feel we should do. And Brad Reddy in his book, The Journey of the Heroic Parent, an excellent and very supportive parent book, he suggests that there's no way you're going to avoid screwing up as a parent. You will make mistakes, even at times, big ones and that's okay. We started this conversation with the idea of letting ourselves off the hook, and especially at this time, I want to encourage every parent to do that. To celebrate, to be a learner yourself, to acknowledge when we're wrong, because occasionally we are, and to validate that our children are doing the best they can when we observe their efforts. Have a lightness life is about lightness and what better time than to laugh a little bit together at the craziness of the world that we are in at this moment a positive learning mindset is a willingness to learn and our kids all have it look at this as an opportunity and celebrate
1: very very nicely put thank you okay are you ready for the five rapid fire questions? Yes. First question, what are your pet peeves?
0: I really don't have a lot of things that bother me on a daily basis, but I will say when I'm walking to work and a car passes me and splashes my shoes, that really is something that I can't get past. And it's it's often for me, not forgivable. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Okay. I don't think that's forgivable for anyone. Question number two, what type of learner are you?
0: I am really an experiential learner. I can remember every activity that I have done where I have moved forward in my understanding of who I am or I have learned something about the world around me. And as an adult now looking back and as a teacher, I know that I can identify my big learning moments with experiences. But I I didn't really learn that, I would say, until adulthood.
1: Okay, question number three, introvert or extrovert? I am
0: despite the fact that I'm a teacher and I stand in front of students and I, and I have conversations with colleagues all day I am an introvert and it took me a long time to be comfortable with that. I spent some time really learning about the characteristics of introvert versus extrovert and I want to say there's nothing wrong with either of them true <laughs> but I do re- re-energize being by myself.
1: Mm. It's really important self-knowledge isn't it it's to understand how you refuel okay uh question number four communication preference for personal conversations i i don't
0: think this is old school because i use all of the technology but i am certainly a face-to-face person and my daughters both know that they know when we have a topic when plans have changed we talk about it. Uh, It isn't enough to just send a message saying something changed. I like to hear their voice if face-to-face isn't possible. And then the other little thing I've added to all my communication with my children as they have gotten older is permission. I often ask permission to talk about something, and they'll Um, tell me if they're busy, because I can say, can I ask you about what happened yesterday? And then they'll say, not right now, (laughs) or can we talk about that later?
1: I really like your second point too, though, um, about asking permission, and I've been teaching my kids that when they do call someone and they have something that they want or need to discuss, that they should always say, do you have a moment to talk about whatever? But I think that should, to your point, transcend across any media. If you want to talk to someone about something, it's not necessarily convenient or optimal for them and you should check in first.
0: And that's respectful. It's teaching empathy. It's showing compassion.
1: Yeah. Fantastic point. Okay, last question. Is there a podcast or a blog or an email newsletter that you find yourself recommending the most?
0: The podcast that tremendously supported me a number of years ago, and uh, I have moved away from a little bit now only because I think I've I've saturated some of the messages, is called um, The Life Coach School. And it's Brooke Castillo. And if a parent is looking for a way to support their own learning as a way of reflecting on who they are as human beings, she just breaks down the basics of asking ourselves questions. What does hope look like? How do we support overwhelm? Mm. So real basics, simple messages that you can pick up and take with you in a moment.
1: Well, that's a great recommendation. I'll make sure I put links to that podcast in the show notes. Is there anything else you want to share with the listeners?
0: Keep trusting yourselves. And we've all got the ability in us to be the kind of parents we want to be. It's no easy task, but it's one of the most beautiful gifts that we can have as human beings to participate in the lives of our children.
1: That is such a beautiful message. Thank you so much, Kim, for sharing your time and your expertise with us.
0: Thank you for the opportunity. It's been a pleasure.
1: Well, I hope you're now feeling better equipped as a parent. I know I am. Thanks again to Kim for sharing her expertise and particularly for her optimism and enthusiasm. She's right, isn't she? Participating in the lives of our children really is one of the most beautiful gifts that we can have as human beings. As promised, I'm now going to summarize everything we covered in this episode. As I said, you can access this printable summary in the show notes on the TalkAboutTalk.com website under the podcast tab. Okay, I divided the learnings into three main categories. One, parenting philosophy. Two, tactics to try. And three, virtual learning. So the first category is parenting philosophy. I've got five points here, general philosophies or things to keep in mind as a parent. First and foremost, parents need to let themselves off the hook. Ultimately, our children's education is their education. That's a tough one to get our heads around though, isn't it? Well, speaking for myself. But the moment we let ourselves off the hook, we empower our children to own their own education and to own their own learning. Second, consider the tree metaphor for your child's education. Formal education provides the trunk of the tree. So exposure to knowledge, supportive learning skills, and stimulation of intellect from preschool to post-secondary education. Parents and guardians then provide the nutrients in the soil, supporting their growth through love, validation, compassion, cheerleading, and role modeling. Parents and guardians also help their children by exposing them to different life experiences, like riding a bike, walking in the park, or reading to them before bed. Each of these experiences grows another new branch in the metaphorical tree. Importantly, this does not require a specific lifestyle. It just requires creativity, curiosity, and intuition. So when it comes to the metaphorical tree, we can think of the formal education system helping the tree and its trunk grow upwards, And we as parents, nourishing it and helping it branch out. Got it? Okay, third, in terms of parenting philosophy, Kim talked about some of the stages that our kids go through as they mature. When they're young, children look for role models. They mimic the behaviors of those around them. That's important to keep in mind. As children grow, they start to demand autonomy. They seek independence, privacy, and secrecy in what they're doing and with whom. Kim encourages us to consider it a privilege to be able to come along for the ride when our kids are teenagers. It helps to remember the end game: We want our children to step out into the world with enough confidence, independence, and self-advocacy to own their own personal experiences. Fourth, in terms of parenting philosophies, Kim points out that as families, we share values. But it's not our job to insist that our children accept all of these values. We can discuss the values, we can model the values, but in the end, it's up to the child to accept them. The last thing in terms of parenting philosophy that I want to highlight is Kim's answer to my question. Do you remember when I asked her towards the end, what are the biggest mistakes that parents make? I loved her answer. Kim said that she discourages us from thinking about our mistakes. Instead, consider the words of Brad Reedy, the author of The Journey of the Heroic Parent. He says that there's no way you can avoid screwing up as a parent. You will make mistakes, even big ones. And guess what? That's okay. Kim encourages us to celebrate and to be learners ourselves. Moving on to the second category here in this summary, tactics to try as a parent. First, validation. Regardless of our child's age, we should validate them. That means encouraging them, keeping it positive, celebrating them. Importantly though, validation is different than praise. Validation is about effort. Praise is about outcome. This point relates to intrinsic versus extrinsic rewards. Do you remember Kim's story about the young hockey player whose mother offered her $5 for every goal she scored? Kim made a few interesting points about this. First, she commented that younger students may be less capable of understanding intrinsic motivations, In other words, they can't possibly comprehend the satisfaction of an intrinsic reward. That comes with experience. But at a certain point, we can encourage our children to focus on the intrinsic satisfaction associated with effort and practice. And we should focus there. Second, when kids are offered rewards for the goals they score in a hockey game or for the grades they get on their report cards, Kim encourages us to consider this question. Who are those rewards really for? Great question. Okay, so the first tactic to focus on is validation, not praise, and intrinsic versus extrinsic rewards. What other tactics did Kim mention? Here's a tactic that sounds deceptively easy. Just hold space. Silence is uncomfortable, but it's a gift, especially with teenagers. So don't feel obliged to fill the silence when you're in the room with a teenager. Listen for what isn't being said and imagine you're a fly on the wall. The next tactic is to listen to what your children tell you about their friends, and also what their friends are saying. The implicit messages here can be golden. And speaking of friends, Kim encourages every parent to talk to their preteen and their teen about what happens to their brains as they go through adolescence. It's not an excuse for bad behavior, but it is a physical, a biological reality. When you do want to have a conversation with your tween or teen, Kim encourages us to ask their permission. There are many reasons why this is a good idea. First of all, if it's an important enough topic, you probably don't want to have the conversation when they're busy or stressed out, right? And secondly, asking permission, saying, hey, can we talk about what happened last night? Implicitly communicates a level of respect that your child will appreciate, even if they don't say so. The last tactic to try is to admit when you're wrong. Apologizing to your teen demonstrates respect for them and it also models vulnerability, which then gives your children license to be vulnerable. And that's all good, right? Okay, now moving on to the nitty gritty of virtual learning. First and foremost, Kim suggests that we keep it light. This really is a unique learning experience for all of us. Probably your first pandemic too, right? Ha-ha! Well, instead of fearing what we might lose, we should really look at the opportunities. The opportunity to learn, to experience things that are completely new and unique, and to grow some new branches on that metaphorical tree of learning. Ask your child and ask yourself, what's the story that you want to tell yourself about this COVID-19 experience after it's all over? As parents, we can remind ourselves that children learn everywhere and learning at home really isn't anything new. What's new is the virtual or online focus of this learning. As parents, we want to encourage our children to do the very best they can. No matter what, this is a great opportunity for kids to learn new skills. So generally, keep it positive. Bring a lightness to this learning. Here are some specific ideas that Kim encourages us to try. First, ask the child to talk about what they like. Maybe a sport or some other hobby. Something that's a positive experience for them and that gets them thinking positive. Then ask, what did you feel at a time when you were most proud of something you'd done? Importantly, how were you feeling? And the next question is, what are your student strengths? This is something that we really want our older teenagers, the ones in grade 11 and 12 especially, to have a grasp of. We want them to be able to identify and state, I've learned the best when I'm doing these things. So is it your practice, like when you shoot hoops every day and your game improves? Or when you do a few math exercises every day and then you do well in tests? Or is it working fast? That's a great student strength. Then you have lots of time to double check your work, right? That's amazing. Or is it being able to focus when it's quiet? That's really good to know. Let's make sure there are no distractions so you can really focus. Kim had a great idea of asking her virtual learning students to send her a photo of their workspace and also of where they keep their phone when they're doing their online schooling. This is a fantastic idea because it encourages students to think deeply about their work environment, their physical space, which definitely impacts the quality of their work. Another tactic related to this is customizing the learning environment. So there's the workspace, which desk or table, which chair, on what device, in what room, but then there's other things like what you're wearing. I really appreciated Kim's story about the young student who wears his dad's tie when he's doing his online schooling and then he takes it off when he's done. How we dress definitely affects how we work. Kim suggests that we might encourage our kids to wear their favorite team sports jersey when they're doing their online schooling. What a great idea for customizing and celebrating the experience, I love it. So yes, we need to celebrate, but we can also set boundaries right now for ourselves and know what they are as parents. We might wanna let go of the house tidying and the cleaning just a bit, but boundaries are also good. Kim said that might mean that at the end of the day, the counters get cleared off and cleaned. We need to be clear and we need to be consistent. Then, whatever the boundary is, most of the time, kids will respect our boundaries. Overall, during this unprecedented COVID-19 experience, We as parents should seek to keep it light. Actually, we should all the time, shouldn't we? Keep it positive. Children are doing the best they can. When we observe their efforts, validate them. Look at this as an opportunity and celebrate. That thought helps me a lot. I hope it helps you too. All right. That's it. The general parenting philosophies, some tactics, and some helpful advice for what we can do to help our tweens and teens during this time of physical distancing and virtual learning. I hope you learned a few pointers that you can try, and I really encourage you to check out the summary in the show notes on the TalkAboutTalk.com website. If you enjoyed this episode and you learned something, I have two asks. One, please tell your friends. You can send them an email or post it on social media. I would really appreciate it. And secondly, if you're not signed up already, please sign up for the Talk About Talk email blog where you'll get free weekly communication skills coaching from me delivered directly to your email inbox. Just go to talkabouttalk.com to sign up or you can email me directly and I'll add you to the list. I'd also love to hear from you, what you think about this episode, any ideas you have for future episodes, or anything else. You can email me anytime at andrea at talkabouttalk.com. Thanks for listening, stay safe, and talk soon.